fellow pioneers on the Upward Way. Welcome to today's journey on the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where we offer a complete read-through of the Bible and point out important highlights you won't want to miss. It's December 1st. For those who have been with us from January, we are heading down the home stretch, nearing the completion of our goal to read through the Bible in one year. This goal is not only that you become biblically literate, but that you are also impacted by the life-changing message. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the message of Christ, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believe on Christ and His saving work, you come alive in your spirit, being sealed in a faith union with Christ by the Holy Spirit of promise. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and producing director for New Life Fine Arts, which is bringing new life to the classics. This month, we are doing just that with John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress in our musical theater presentation of Celestial City, which opens this month. You can get performance information and tickets at our website, newlifefinearts.org, newlifefinearts.org. Today, we are continuing our reading through the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, the first epistle of John in the New Testament, and Psalm 120 And we are continuing our read-through of the book of Proverbs, chapter 28. So we will be covering a lot of rich territory in this half-hour podcast. Let's get started by reading from Daniel, chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Daniel's Vision of the Ram and the Goat In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision... And when I saw, I was in Susa the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram, and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, But when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. 
and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. The Interpretation of the Vision When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Medea and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome, and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, and did not understand it. This concludes our reading from the Old Testament passage from the book of Daniel. Now let's take a few moments to recap and reflect. Daniel has a vision of a ram with two horns, one longer than the other, and a goat. He has this vision during the third year of Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, that is in 551 B.C. Once again, this is a predictive prophecy a vision given many years before it is fulfilled. It will be fulfilled accurately. God transports Daniel to Susa, one of the capital cities of the future Persian Empire. There will be no Babylon in this vision, for in a few short years the Babylonian Empire will be no more. We are told what the ram and goat represent. The ram is the Medo-Persian Empire that will succeed the Babylonian Empire, as written in Daniel chapter 8, verse 20. The Medo-Persian alliance was not equally balanced, 
as evident in the unequally sized horns. Persia would dominate Medea, increasing the empire in size and power through the Achaemenid dynasty, Cyrus and his descendants. The male goat, coming from the west, represents the Greek empire, Daniel chapter 8, verse 21, which under the leadership of Alexander the Great will attack and overthrow the Persian Empire in 331 BC, more than 200 years in the future. At Daniel's time, Greece was not considered a world power. Alexander would conquer the surrounding nations with great speed and military strategy. Just as Daniel had interpreted the handwriting on the wall at Belshazzar's feast, accurately predicting the overthrow of the Babylonian Empire in 539 B.C., Daniel's dream accurately predicted the overthrow of the Medo-Persian Empire by the Greeks. There are various configurations of power in the Greek Empire, figured as the goat, as the large conspicuous horn on its head breaks and four conspicuous horns grow in its place, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 8. Out of one of those horns grows one that is exceedingly great and rises to the hosts of heaven. It causes stars to fall and be trampled down. It magnified itself to be equal with God, the commander of the host, and removed the regular sacrifices and threw down the place of his sanctuary. The worship in the sanctuary will be given over to this beast. It will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. Daniel chapter 8 verse 12. Daniel overhears a question being asked. How long will the vision about the abuse of the regular sacrifice apply? And he answered, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. In verses 15 through 17, Daniel cries out for understanding, but he is incapable of understanding apart from divine intervention, as we all are. The voice of the heavenly man cries out, Gabriel, Give this man an understanding of the vision. The Bible tells us about the role that the angels play in the lives of those who are heirs of salvation in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. They protect us and act as God's secret agents who are able to give us special understanding. How grateful we are for their assistance. Here Gabriel approaches Daniel and tells him that the vision pertains to the time of the end in Daniel chapter 8, verse 17. Here we have an example of an angel who communicates important information that settles the matter for the troubled human being. This is the same Gabriel that had answered the questions of bewildered Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 verse 19 and Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 and settled their hearts with spiritual understanding, an understanding that settled the matter. Once again, we notice the breathtaking appearance of angels that often causes the beholder to fearfully fall prostrate before them, necessitating the angel's command to fear not when they introduce themselves. The angel tells Daniel about the end of the Greek empire, which foreshadows the end of the age before the arrival of the kingdom of God with the second coming of Christ. The single horn, representing the kingdom of Alexander, breaks off into four parts, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 4. When Alexander died in his thirties, his kingdom was split into four parts under four generals, Ptolemy I of Egypt and Palestine, Seleucus of Babylonia and Syria, Lysimachus of Asia Minor, and Antipater of Macedon and Greece. The fourth of these horns, the Seleucid, grows, 
and the leader becomes mighty, not by its own power, but by the satanic powers of darkness, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 24. This small horn that grows describes Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who in the 2nd century B.C. attacked Israel. He was the eighth ruler of the Seleucid Empire, that's Babylonia and Syria. This dictator is accurately predicted to destroy mighty men and persecute the saints, desecrating the Lord's sanctuary in the beautiful land that is Israel, overthrowing the high priest and setting up his own Greek religion in the temple of God, the worship of Zeus. Antiochus IV Epiphanes of Greece forced people around the empire to worship the Olympian Zeus. When the Jews returned to their homeland from captivity in Babylon, they are forever cured of their heathen habits of idolatry. When Antiochus IV attempts to impose the worship of Zeus in the temple, they do not put up with him easily. He persecuted the Jews severely, which we will read about in Daniel chapter 11. He assails the commander of the host, the creator of the universe, by plundering his temple and massacring the Jews who resisted his pagan religion. He would come back later and desecrate the temple by offering unclean animals, that is, pigs. Antiochus IV's title, Epiphanes, means manifestation of God. He was such a megalomaniac that his subjects called him Antiochus Epimenes, meaning the mad one behind his back. Antiochus attacks the scriptures also, flinging truth to the ground in Daniel chapter 8, verse 12. This remarkable prophecy anticipates the man of sin, the Antichrist, who is still to come. And we read about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Daniel chapter 8, verse 17, verse 19, verse 23, and Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. Daniel was exhausted and made sick for days by this vision. He kept it to himself because it was a vision for the distant future. He was astounded by what he had seen, and he wrote it down. Now we move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour. In the New Testament, we read 1 John chapter 2. That's the first epistle of John chapter 2, and we will read verses 1 through 17. Christ our Advocate. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. The New Commandment Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 
I am writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children, because you know the Father. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament from the first epistle of John. A major theme in the first epistle of John is assurance of salvation. In chapter 1, we learned that, because God is light, sin is a real problem. We cannot wish it away. We cannot pray it away. We need to see it as it is, the seed of rebellion that declares we will not have this man rule over us. Sin kills any potential for fellowship with God. That is why the Apostle Paul reminds the Ephesians that we were born dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually subject to Satan who rules over and operates through the sons of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It takes God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves to save us from our sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Call it Operation Grace. The light exposes the hidden things of darkness, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceived and are walking in darkness. However, in God's light we shall see light, and our sin will be recognized for what it is, exceedingly sinful. Psalm 36, verse 9, and Romans chapter 7, verse 13. So what do we do with our sin? We confess our sin in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The Greek word for confess is homologeo, and in the context means say the same thing that God says about it. We must recognize that the only way for sin to be dealt with is for the righteous God to righteously provide a way to forgive sin and put it off our record forever. The only way is through substitution. God substitutes himself for us by sending his Son to justly absorb our sin debt and pay it on our behalf. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who became our sin-bearer and justifier, rose from the dead and is now our advocate. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in John 1, verse 29. Notice John the Baptist did not say that Jesus takes away the sins, plural, of the world, but the sin, singular, meaning the whole problem of sin. He is the only solution for the problem of sin. He provides the solution through His righteous living and dying on our behalf as our substitute so that we could receive forgiveness and eternal life through the Holy Spirit, who teaches us to deny ungodliness and submit joyfully to God's Word. The solution is offered to all, 
but applied to those who believe. It is only to those who believe that the atonement is particularly effective. We can know this atonement is effective when it is evidenced by the new life within, the new desires to love God, submit to Christ as our Lord, trust Him as our Savior, keep His commandments, love the brethren, love not the world, forgive others as we know we have been forgiven, and desire to do the will of God in all things. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-5, through 5, verses 7-11, through 11, verses 15-17. through 17. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is the Spirit who witnesses to our hearts the assurance of our salvation, the effectiveness of Christ's atonement on our behalf, and our adoption into God's forever family. Do you have assurance of your salvation? Do you have a genuine, sincere love for Jesus Christ? Do you believe what the Bible says about Him, that He is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity? Do you believe that He took to Himself a sinless human nature, being conceived by the Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary? Do you believe that He was and is the perfect God-man, qualified to be the mediator who would provide salvation for those who believe? Do you believe He lived a sinless life, died on the cross, taking the punishment your sins deserved, and that He was raised from the dead on the third day, now able to be your advocate before God the Father, assuring that your sins have been paid for? Do you believe that God is Spirit, and that those who believe upon Christ are given the free gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Do you have a love for the Word of God and the people of God? Does sin bother you? Does it grieve your heart when you violate God's Word or walk in a way that is contrary to His revealed will? Do you have the desire to grow spiritually and become more like Jesus? Taken together, all these factors are made possible only through the work of God's grace, the gift of salvation. We do not yet have the perfection of this new life, but we recognize we have the pattern of this new life, for the love of the Father abides in us. Let's move on now to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the book of Psalms, Psalm 120, and we will read verses 1 through 7. This is the first of a series of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascents. Deliver me, O Lord, a song of ascents. Psalm 120. In my distress I called to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I made my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Psalm 120 is one that is sung by pilgrims annually on their journey to Jerusalem for the feasts. It does not sound like a happy song. It starts with a call of distress, and it ends with a recognition that they are still in a state of war. In between, these verses reflect the fact they are suffering attacks of deception and slander. The song is sung both by pilgrims who are not able to attend the feasts and by those who can. Those who can make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem are to remember those who cannot because of troubles that afflict their souls, situations of stress, slander, and war. This psalm reminded the pilgrims of the privilege they had in attending the feasts, 
of being able to worship together and celebrate the blessings of their deliverance. Let us not take our privilege of fellowship with God's people for granted. Let us be sure to share the blessings gleaned from our gatherings with those who cannot attend. Let us not forget the shut-ins and those in stressful situations. Let us share our testimonies of answered prayer. In my trouble I cried to the Lord, and He answered me. Psalm 120, verse 1. And now for our final stop in our Bible reading tour today, we go to the book of Proverbs, and we will read verses 25 and 26. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. These proverbs fly in the face of the contemporary cultural promotion of self-worship and the mantra to just trust your heart and situational ethics. Here is the timeless and true counsel. Trust in the Lord. Walk in the wisdom of His Word, and you will prosper and be delivered from the futility of this world's psychobabble. Now let's pray. Lord, forgive us for leaning on our own understanding and for trusting in society's mantras to put our faith in our own misguided affections. We put our confidence in the testimony of your word, for it is truth. We thank you that your word tells us that Jesus paid our sin debt. We humbly submit to him and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who assures us of our salvation. We ask that you help us this day to walk wisely, that we may know your power of deliverance from the enemies that war against our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. What a rich excursion we have had in our reading today. We've had the telescopic vision of Daniel's prophetic look into the future, accurately predicting the fall of the kingdoms of this world, the crystal clarity of the Apostle John's teaching to give believers the confidence of their sins being forgiven and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and also songs of pilgrimage that encourage us to share what we have learned of God's faithfulness with others. And may we do that today. Thank you for joining with me on this journey, and God willing, we will set out and get a further glimpse into the future and greater confidence of the work of the Spirit in the present as we read more tomorrow. Until then, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that we will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Shalom. Shalom.